Welcome to Manufacturing Success, a podcast presented by the Fisher and Phillips Manufacturing Industry Practice Group. My name is Mike Carruth. I'm a partner in the Columbia, South Carolina office of Fisher and Phillips. I'm a member of the Fisher and Phillips Manufacturing Industry Practice Group. So let's get started with this episode of Manufacturing Success. For our conversation today, we'll focus on safety issues that are common for manufacturing employers. For a number of reasons, workplace safety is a very significant area for legal and compliance concerns for employers. This is certainly the case for manufacturing employers. Our guest today is one of my partners at Fisher and Phillips. Uh, he works out of the Charlotte, North Carolina office, a very successful and active member of the firm's workplace safety practice group. Let me welcome Kurt Moore to the Manufacturing Success podcast. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Happy to be a guest and do this podcast with Manufacturing Success. You know, a little bit about me for those of you listening out there. I do work in the workplace safety practice group that Mike mentioned. We cover coast to coast across the United States, variety of manufacturing facilities and in that industry, as well as in construction and many other industries. Uh, I've handled OSHA inspections in approximately 26 states around the U.S. Our group has handled OSHA inspections in almost every state. I think we may be missing two or three, but we uh, we seem to be adding to that list all the time, Mike. So appreciate you having me on and, and let's see what we can discuss here today that helps our manufacturing clients and people out there in the industry. Yeah, look, look looking forward to it. Kurt. I know you guys are busy and I do appreciate all the, the stuff you and the folks in the workplace safety practice group do. Well, as we enter the middle of 2023 and we head towards next year, um, let me start by asking uh, some questions of uh, more of a general nature. What are the workplace safety trends you're seeing now uh, that are most important for manufacturing employers? Well, as you know, we, we've moved out of COVID, so to speak, now for a long time. Everybody, including manufacturing, was focused on COVID, as was ocean. You know, I feel like many ocean inspectors told me we don't have time to do anything else because we're so busy with COVID complaints and COVID concerns. And now we're seeing kind of a return to normalcy. So some of the, the things that empl employers in manufacturing are used to seeing, you know, emphasis programs for amputation, uh, you know, machine guarding, you know, noise emphasis programs. Those are the things that we're seeing ramping back up from OSHA on, on that front. Obviously, they're always interested in lockout, tagout, machine guarding, confined space, all of those things that you tend to see in manufacturing facilities throughout the U.S. What type of uh, things should manufacturing employers expect to see from OSHA now going forward into the next year? Well, you know, following administrations, it's always interesting, even though uh, the Biden administration has been in office now for you know a number of years. It usually takes you know two to three years into that administration to really see their policies take shape and take effect. So we are seeing more uh, inspectors be hired by federal OSHA. Even at the state level, we're seeing new faces, you know, in states like North Carolina and South Carolina. Uh, so I think we're seeing increased hiring efforts. Some of the people are newer to the game in terms of the inspectors. 
sometimes that's good. Sometimes that presents challenges. Uh, you just kind of have to make your way through that. So that's one trend I would say is increased hiring. The other one is, you know, there is a bigger uh, push to be aggressive, I think, by OSHA under this administration. And what I mean by that is, and I'll let you, you know, ask me about the specifics, but we're seeing increased use of subpoenas and the way in which they use subpoenas. And we're also seeing some interesting memoranda out there from OSHA enforcement memoranda that are directing their activities and kind of lend itself to that idea that they are trying to be much more expansive and much more aggressive in terms of policing employers. Yeah. Well, Kurt, what are you seeing with the uh, more aggressive use of subpoenas? What, what are some examples? So, you know, I've been doing this, you know, about five, six years now, primarily in the workplace safety practice. You know, my partner, Travis Vance in Charlotte's been doing it longer than that. And our collective experience has been in the past, OSHA would usually start with informal requests for documents and information. There are some instances now where we've seen, and not in every area office, but we've seen OSHA immediately go to a subpoena. Um, that's not necessarily, you know, the rule. Uh, I would still say it's the exception, but that's something that was unheard of before. What we're seeing more often, though, Mike, is that they're, if they get pushed back on scope, because one thing we do is always preach to employers, if they come in because of a complaint or they come in because of an accident, this is a limited scope inspection. So let's say they come in for an amputation on a particular machine. OSHA may want records relating to HASCOM, which we believe has nothing to do with the inspection at issue and is not within the scope. We'll see OSHA now increasingly try to get those documents through a subpoena uh, and really push back. Whereas before they would say, you know, you're right. We don't necessarily need those. Maybe that's not within the scope. So that's an example I can give you yeah. where in the past, I don't know that we would have seen subpoena use for that. And now we are. Right. You mentioned the, the, OSHA issuing memorandum or directives, I guess, from leadership, you know, on the labor relations side, which is what I do, uh, the general counsel, the labor board basically is creating a very pro-organized labor agenda and issuing memorandum decisions that take what would be more conservative interpretations of federal labor law and saying, no, it ought to be more aggressive uh, are the same kind of things happening in the safety world with OSHA? Yeah, I mean, there, one good example is in January of 2023, OSHA issued an enforcement memorandum for instance by instance or IBI citations. And this is something that has always existed as a possibility, but this enforcement directive said, we're gonna start using this as a tool in our toolbox to, to push employers who are being non-compliant. And, and what I mean by instance by instance is for certain high hazards like uh, machine guarding and amputations, lockout, tagout, confined space, and where the standard supports multiple citations. And, and what I mean by that is as a training component an enforcement component and an audit component. In the past, OSHA would often group those instances together or would issue multiple citations with $0 penalties. This new enforcement from the upper echelon of OSHA, this memorandum is now directing OSHA to try to cite employers for multiple instances under the same type of standard 
and allocate separate penalty. And that's that's just created deterrent and compliant effect with employers. So much similar to what you're saying in terms of taking a more liberal interpretation, so to speak, with how OSHA is acting and how they're enforcing the OSHA Act. Uh, I know uh, based on the little bit of work I've done in workplace safety that maintaining and providing documents could be a big part of the OSHA compliance. Uh, what are some of the critical areas manufacturers may need to understand uh, regarding uh, safety-related documents and what they may have to do? Well, I mean, we can talk about specifics, but one thing I say is documentation is key, right? With OSHA, as with other federal agencies and even state agencies, if you don't document it, it means it didn't happen. And even though you and I know maybe it did happen, maybe there were verbal morning safety meetings that were conducted uh, in OSHA's eyes, that's just not enough. So in general, keeping training, uh, record keeping is, is big. Obviously, your OSHA 300 logs, 300A summaries, making sure they're accurate, correct. You're meeting your deadlines for posting uh, or, or posting online through the online portal, your 300A summaries. Hascom is a big one. I don't know how many employers in various industries I run into. They have SDS sheets, but they haven't been updated continuously because they add or subtract chemicals in the workplace. That was big during COVID as well. And then finally, one other area I would say is, you know, your, your audiograms, making sure you're just staying on top of your documentation for audiograms and uh, standard threshold shifts. Uh, because most of our manufacturers may require hearing protection, at least in some part of their facility. Yeah. Kurt, uh, based on your experiences, are there any practical tips or pointers manufacturing employers should uh, know about or consider to help them be more successful in how they deal with OSHA when those events occur? Well, I think one thing is, you know, if, if you're not, if you don't have a plan, you're preparing to fail. So I always tell clients in any industry, especially manufacturing though, uh, you have to have a plan of who is going to interface with OSHA, uh, who is on that team, how, how is it going to be communicated and disseminated that OSHA is on site because most of the time you don't know that they're coming. So you need to work with your, your security if you have a front gate to alert the appropriate people in the facility, then assemble your team and then from there, and it's more than we can talk about in one podcast. And I know we may do a second one on this. Uh, from there, you're going to make decisions on how you're going to interface with OSHA in terms of best practices, which are, you know, are we giving them everything they ask for? Are we analyzing scope? Are we walking the route that we plan to take um, to take OSHA to this machine where this incident happened or where the complaint is? Those sorts of things. So having a plan is critical. And our workplace safety team often works with employers to develop a written plan and train their personnel on that plan. Are there anything, uh, any specific um, events or issues that you've seen come up with inspections that uh, happen on a more common basis that manufacturing employers ought to really pay attention to with inspections and how they can be conducted? Sure. So one that's been coming up a lot lately is if OSHA comes in under a program, um, so there's unprogrammed inspections, injuries, complaints that can drive OSHA to come to your facility. 
or programmed inspections, which means there's some administrative program out there that's bringing OSHA to you. We've seen it under the hearing conservation emphasis program and also under um, the amputation program recently. Those are very narrow programs focused on those two things, amputation hazards, hearing hazards. Once OSHA gets there, though, they often want to look at other things. So, for example, a hearing program was the basis for one and OSHA gets on site. We weren't involved at the time. And they asked the client about powered industrial trucks and forklifts. And so really understanding what the limits of that program are, if you were appropriately selected under the program, uh, what the scope is, is critical uh, because OSHA sometimes is taking advantage of employers that are caught off guard and getting into other areas of the facility that they don't need to really be getting into under that limited program. Yeah, based on your current experience with OSHA and inspections, uh, is it a reasonable approach for like a manufacturing employer to uh, say, well, we're more concerned about making sure we have this positive relationship with OSHA as opposed to having that plan you're talking about for an inspection and dealing with uh, safety matters? So I get this question a lot from clients. And what I always tell them is there are friendly people that work for the government. I know a lot of them and I have good relations with them, but you can't make friends with the government. And what I mean by that is they're there to do a job the same way we are as attorneys on the other side. They're there to enforce safety regulations and standards, and they have to answer to their boss who has to answer to their boss and so on and so forth up the chain. So what I always tell clients is you want to exercise your legal rights and you can do that in a professional and courteous manner that still keeps that relationship. And if in most OSHA inspectors have done this a while and the area directors, they understand. I mean, we have a pretty good relationship with a number of area offices and state plans, even though they see us all the time. And even though we're exerting rights for or asserting rights for employers all the time. So it's just more about how you deliver the message than, you know, not, not actively pursuing your rights and limiting the scope. Because I can guarantee you, no matter how buttoned up your facility is, there's something there to be found. And you can often avoid it by limiting the scope and, and then having your own safety audit after the fact to catch it. And that way, you still have a safe workplace, but you're not getting a citation for it. You're not paying Uncle Sam. You're using that money to improve your safety in your facility. I think that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. A lot of the folks listening deal with HR issues. And the, I tell clients the number one rule in HR is no good deed goes unpunished. And like you said, I think having a professional, polite, courteous relationship is fine, but I wouldn't rely on that. I would dot the I's and cross the T's. I agree. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part episode of Manufacturing Success. Part two will be available on fisherphillips.com shortly. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Mm-hmm.